You are listening to Gabriel and Lee at the Crossroads. All right, we're back for another round of Mr. Eliseo. Round thanks, two. Round two. Thanks for joining us again. Pleasure. How are you doing? Doing good. It's good to hear. So we didn't necessarily set an agenda this time, and we didn't actually have a discussion about what we want to talk about. But if there's a, what I was imagining is if there's anything that's how I was thinking, like I don't say like heavy in your heart, but something that you feel like is like pressing in your like in your mind that's kind of been playing over and over again, something that you want to talk out that you feel like you need to explore deeper. That's what I was imagining to have a discussion about, but you know, obviously open to whatever we want to whatever route you want to go because it can go anywhere really what if I said there was nothing pressing on my hand good because I have questions <laughs> perfect pivot <laughs> no uh, I think we covered a little bit about it last time and I know it came up with uh, Jesus Bravo when we had him on from oh yeah the Red Gospel but as far as um, scripture I think you have an interesting interesting way of looking at scripture your approach and i know there's a story behind that as far as when was there a shift as far as how you approach scripture um your understanding of what was it that helped you um deepen your understanding of scripture was it you know what, what did that process look like in other words well um let me see let me dig deep down inside the webs. <laughs> so uh, good. The the for whatever reason, I've always been I've had a connection with the scriptures ever since I was a, a child. Um, I was born into uh, uh, a pastoral family. My dad was a pastor when I was born, and um, actually, when I was born, he became a pastor in Chicago and started the second church in Chicago in the Apostolic Assembly. And they went around, you know, starting different churches and whatnot. But point being is that I grew up in an environment where um, my parents took the scriptures very seriously. And so I was always around my dad's teaching. And I always saw my dad studying. So that has an influence on you. At least it did on me. Um... My earliest memories is I remember learning the Sunday school stories and being intrigued by them. Um, but then I would also, when I would wake up, the first thing I would see was my dad studying. Hmm. And I knew he was studying the Bible. So we that's when we, it was like, don't bother him because it wouldn't go well <laughs> uh, when he was concentrating. And then last one to sleep was my dad sitting there again studying and, you know, um, <clears throat> So there was that. Uh, I think part of that growing up in that environment was uh, was it, it it impacted me subconsciously, anyways. Where it's not like I knew what was happening to me, but I just grew up around that being the norm. And um, uh, and so my dad was really into the study of the scriptures and and uh, and always had surrounded by books, always surrounded by books. So my dad was self-taught, and and he would read and study and make take notes every day. 
So and then I would see him teach it. I would see him teach and discuss and, and, uh, and at church or through Bible studies or through his preachings and whatnot. So I was always uh, around that kind of environment. And, and when you're around it, you're in it, you're not really, you don't know what's really going on. But looking back, I know that it had a big impact on on how not only the scriptures, but on on being introduced to a living God, right? Uh, to a God who's alive and a God whose the spirit was always moving and who can be accessed when you pray, when you talk to him, you can talk to, it was a living God, right? Um, so that was my early formation. <clears throat> By the time I was like, five years old and able to read, remember reading, I was reading, I remember my mom would take me to the library and we just checked out, we'd go to the public library, which is when we lived in Iowa, next to the Mississippi River. And uh, and we would go to the public library and I would come back with like 13 books. I just remember spending so much time in the books and going through them, reading and, uh, um, and just remember loving it. And so I grew up loving to read one. And uh, even though I'm not a really good reader at all, I'm very slow because I, I, like I read every word instead of, you know, they try to teach you to speed read or how to read quickly or more quickly not to read words like you read through the phrases or whatever uh, to learn how to read faster. I don't. I read every single word. That's a real crutch when it comes to university or things that you have to digest when you're digesting big books and whatever. So, um, but the, the, the positive side to that was that I, um, that I pretty much remembered everything I read. So it's like, I took a long time to read it, but I can, I, I retained almost all of it. So, uh, a good portion of it. So that was very handy. So even if I didn't read much, whatever I read, I did retain so that I could use that knowledge for whatever I needed to use it. And like, it was enough. But, um, so I grew up reading a lot and, and enjoying reading. And, um, and well, we didn't have a TV or anything. So, that, you know, it's like your imagination just, it's like the best thing for your imagination uh, to read. Because it's, you have uh, the movies and pictures and, TVs, you know, uh, screens are trying to mimic our imagination. It, 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 you know, it, it, it can't, it doesn't come close. It can't keep up. Right. That's why the book is always better than the movie, right? right. <clears throat> because you can't touch your imagination. Imagination is amazing. You know, it, it brings things to life in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so books have a way of doing that that nothing else mm-hmm. does. And so I read a lot. A lot of different genres. I loved westerns. I loved. I loved everything. But um, and so, you expand. I think it expands your imagination greatly. It sets you into worlds that you would never think of or could, you know, and just kind of like broadens your imaginations and whatnot. Loved science fiction. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. <clears throat> because it's like imagination, like on steroids. Run wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's all this imagination yeah. on steroids. Like it's amazing. Um, but uh, so I think that literal that literacy background and I think is important before just going right into why how I approach scripture. I think it has a lot to do with how I approach scriptures because it's how I read and partly um, 
is part of the story. But I was about 15 years old. And um, what would happen to me in Sunday schools, when I grew up around Sunday schools, I was always in trouble. The typical pastor's kid. But, uh, but it was a different kind of trouble in the sense that... Um, that I was, especially in Sunday school, I was always in trouble in Sunday school because I, by the time I was in like primary, which was like fifth grade or something, you know, around there, I had read so many books and, and the Bible was a big, was one that was, that I read as well. Mm. And then my dad had bought me um, it was it had it was like a, a new thing, and and uh, I loved comic books. I would read a bunch, a ton of comic books as well, um, and and my dad had bought me. It had just came out with the Bible, the uh, uh, comic book Bible, the, the graphic novel, the graphic novel. <laughs> yes, I would imagine. <laughs> yes, uh, and and so it was all the Bible. But in comic book form, hmm. right? That's pretty cool. And uh, the Bible in picture, I think it was called the picture Bible or something like that. It was called, and it was a new thing. And and I, and and then I somehow, some way, I don't know. I think it was through my dad. But anyways, I, I ended up getting the picture in Bible, the Bible picture, the picture Bible, and they put the Bible in a context of something I loved. So I devoured the whole thing quickly and read through it. And then when it would quote certain, like, because it was, it was basically dialogues, mm-hmm. right? So when it would, mm-hmm. um, when it would quote certain things in the past in the comic book, I'd go reference it or to get the whole story or whatnot. But my imagination to the scriptures just like was vivid, was vivid as to, you know, uh, I could see. So I can see some of the images in my head when I think about them, like some of the, especially the war ones, because he has a boy, you know, like, David and Goliath. Yeah, David and Goliath is always <laughs> probably, but a, a big one I would not always remember too is Joshua mm-hmm. when they're going in and conquering the land. So there was a lot of pictures about them just doing crazy stuff, and um, and so uh, you know Samson, you know all these crazy stories, right? And then uh, so uh, all that stuff is real vivid, and and, and, and interesting enough, like I, I, I the New Testament wasn't as interesting to me it's not as uh, it, it, descriptive as, it's not it, as dramatic yeah well it is but not like the old testament no. was crazy not fire coming out of heaven <laughs> and, uh, yes elijah calling fire out <laughs> you know sizzling the plagues you know, a, on a, the Egyptians. You know, a, a squadron of soldiers and, right right the, you know all these egyptians you know you know moses caused the water and they're all flooding drowning and well, yeah, it's real dramatic old yeah. testament would be like a really great mini series or really oh, great uh, it's, it's amazing to me how yeah. somebody hasn't taken it that you know seriously right. and done something like just epic yeah just it, epic it blow everything else out yeah. of the water Netflix, you know what i'm saying i mean <laughs> the series. stories are there, like the the judges just do the judges because the judges is whacked. Yeah, it's 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 actually in fact actually actually it's like very much modern day living, you know, oh, yeah. where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, is, you mm. know, and and the story there is crazy. I just remember um, Game of Thrones when that was at its high, its peak at work, and people were talking about every Monday. People would come in talking about Monday, and I never watched the show, but I would hear their stories, and I'd always think think, and I would say it out loud to them, and be like, 
That's all in the Bible. Like <laughs> the, 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 the betrayal, the, yeah. the the war. That's all. That's all in the Bible. Like, yeah, yeah. And people that write that stuff is undoubtedly uh, has have read those stories yeah. you know, and, and, and oh, others, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, or like you know as well, they don't necessarily have to because the archetypes are there, and we access them, especially when you have good writing. You tend that the good writers always, t- you know. Always tap into the archetypes, right? You need a family <laughs> drama. Just read about Jacob and his sons and what they did to their little brother. <laughs> that's a, I'm saying that's like a cool, that's a really interesting movie. Yeah, especially when you when you feel like you know like I I felt growing up I I was the black sheep of my family, mm-hmm. so I was like you know the darker one. My 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 siblings made me believe that I had been adopted and got in super big trouble <laughs> oh, for man. it. Okay, so the psychological <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. And so when you read a story like Joseph. And like I, I, I remember like, man, that's me, yeah, that's me. So that when I was getting bullied or my siblings were doing things like that, there was at least hope. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. it's amazing the things that you can, that you tap into. You know, um, that God, well, you know, that because I believe that God uh, speaks, you know, to His creation always. That. Um, it happens not when you're old enough to understand. It happens from birth, from before you're born. He's interacting with us. It's, it's the voice. It's like the mother's voice. Like the the, the baby uh, hears the mother's voice and learns the mother's voice in the womb, not when they come out. Hmm. They learn it in the womb, so that when they come out, they they recognize the mother's voice. It's the same thing with God. You know, when we He's forming us, when He's creating us, we He speaks His the logos into us, His truth into us. He forms us in our true being as His, in, in, in being formed in truth, so that our, our true being, our, our true self, can only come forward when can only responds to the truth. So when it hears the truth, our true self will rise up from the dead and come alive in us, and come forward. But that's you know, but my my point by saying that is that that's the word of God. That's the scriptures. That's the that's the living word from a living God. Interacting with us from way before we're conscious, right? I, I would say you're the picture of training up a child the way they should go. If you're five years old and you're seeing your dad reading scripture and you're understanding that this is sacred, this is something that he's doing in the morning, he's doing in the middle of the day, he's doing at night. The first thing and the last thing he does as a kid, you're you know that's being ingrained in you that okay, this is something that. Is serious, right? This is this is like real life, right? It wasn't like you know this was like going to work as real as going to work, or or you know it was not like something that just this was. In fact, it was more. It, this was real life, and going to work was not real. Hmm. Every, you know, this was real life. Being at church and studying the scriptures that was as real as it got. Everything else was just like kind of not real. It wasn't at that level. It wasn't sacred. Second, secondary, right? Secondary, absolutely, and, and so therefore not as important, right? Um, but back to my Sunday school uh, uh, delinquents days. <laughs> Your Sunday school incidents. Incidences. Yeah. Uh, occurrences, <laughs> uh, regular occurrences. Uh, what happened is that. I had already consumed enough of the scriptures that I knew these stories inside out. Hmm. Like I knew these stories 
Okay, maybe not inside out, but I was very familiar with them. So much so, so that if you deviated from them, oh. I felt that it was my duty oh. to let you know you deviated. <laughs> because for someone who loves stories, there's nothing worse than someone telling the story the wrong way. That, that was me growing up with my auntie in Sunday school. Because <laughs> I went to a, a Baptist, you know, Christian school, so Bible, the subject of Bible was the same as... English, history, math. <clears throat> You're saying it was the same kind of dedication to that subject. Right, it was a real subject. And so you, you go into Sunday school, and I'm this kid who's, you know, hearing this, like you're saying, hearing a retelling or somebody else's uh, retelling, but then being like, that's not how it goes. That's not what happened. Yeah, that was me. That was not good. Totally. So, and, and there's nothing more annoying to yeah. a teacher right. than, than a student correcting them. When the, and the student is right. <laughs> right, so and, you know, as you know, as you learn that you know, people who volunteer to teach in Sunday school aren't the most prepared people, especially scripturally speaking. <laughs> They're usually following some kind of script or something, and so they can't really deviate much from that. And any kind of deviation from that, they're lost, right? And so, um, these are the people that are bringing up these stu- <laughs> masses of students. <laughs> Okay, it's not all of them, but you know, some. I think a good majority. That's the case. Um, so, needless to say, my teacher would say something, and I was like, "That's not the way it goes." Wrong. Would <laughs> <laughs> be like Trump. Wrong. 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 <laughs> raising your hand, not waiting to be called. Not waiting to be called. <laughs> but but then it was because it happened so frequently, and these were adults teaching, you know, and so you, you're like, you know. I know this story, so you should know it better than me. You're an adult. Like, you got to be kidding me. You know? And so, um, yeah, so that does nothing for, you know, it does, that just stokes your arrogance, you know, right. without mm-hmm. you knowing it, right? But um, that's, and that's why Paul says knowledge puffs you up, right? Knowledge makes, you know, puffs you up, makes you arrogant. Uh, but love edifies. Um, so, I, I, I got kicked out of every single one of my Sunday school classes. <laughs> That was the benefit of knowing the scriptures. <laughs> that was the yeah, the PK running wild. <laughs> but but you know, you know, it's important to say that was knowing the scriptures in the letter of it, but not in the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. I knew the letter of the scripture, you know, from a very young age, but I didn't know the spirit of it. You know, which the spirit of it is is the point, right? And. Um, uh, so I got kicked out. So I was always the youngest in my class because I could, are you kidding? I, I, there's no way I could stomach being in the same age level that I was at mm-hmm. with my peers. There's no way I would get in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. So then they would kick me up to a, there were solutions where, you know, um, when they couldn't handle me, they would kick me to, you're going to go, go with your dad. And I was like, yes, <laughs> because that means I got to go to the adults. That was bittersweet because I got sent to the adult class and the adults talked about life. They talked about real stuff, not like fake, you know, uh, well, you know, just Water what down. they were talking about in Sunday school at the kid level. And when I went and got sent to the adult level and the things that they were talking about their marriage and relationships and whatnot, uh, it was like, 
when you're teaching the same things yeah. the same time, like you're teaching like fairy tale stories compared to you know is this the same building like, yeah. like, <laughs> like this is like i really like this is like serious you know and so I, I enjoyed when they, you know, that was a reward for me. They think it was a punishment, and it kind of was because whenever I could sit in there, usually I'd end up being in trouble. But I, it was worth it for me mm. because I enjoyed listening to the studies and them go back and forth, the adults go back and forth, right? And, um, and, and man, I, I, I got, I, I was a sponge always. So then, and then so they're like, I, I the teachers would refuse to have me in their class and like I'm not teaching with him in there and 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 so then I would get sent to the next class so then you know I was like got from primary I was the guy kicked up you know to the junior class and so I was the smallest because they were all huge you know older than me and then still and then I would like get exhausted because I'm like wait a second you're telling the same stories from the other classroom and you're telling it even worse, you know? <laughs> and 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 uh, and so then I would get kicked out of that class. So I ended up being like a really young uh, uh, in the youth class at a really young age. Like I was not, you know, all the youth with older ones, you know, and I was like a little junior in the youth class, hmm. and then wouldn't couldn't hang in there either. Because I was mortified as that they didn't even know their stories, their basic stories. Like, there's no way you just, someone asked that who's, you know, uh, someone said something about Adam, and you don't know who Adam is, and mm. you're in high school. Wow. You know, I mean, some of them might have been new converts or, or right. some yeah. of you that never grew yeah. up like yeah. that, right? But I couldn't understand that because it was my, my world was different, my was not my experience. Like, how do you get to this age and you have no idea who Moses is? Like, there was a big breakdown in in, <laughs> in communication somewhere, and 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 in, in, in many of the cases, I knew they grew up in, in in the church. So, how do you go through all these kinds of classes and you can't and you don't know who John is and what he said at this? You know, what Peter did as it relates to. You know, a rooster crowing. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't. It was like so. When I would see that, I would be like, I was like disgusted. Hmm. You know, I was like, I was like, and I would get angry. Like, what was? This is a joke to people. Like, this is like a joke, and, and I didn't feel like that. But so, was, obviously, it's, it's coming from a very arrogant place, condescending, right? But I was always the youngest one, so. They ran out of places to put me uh, growing up. And so at fifth, that was at 15. And at 15, then I um, I got approached by the superintendent and the pastor, being my dad. And uh, and the superintendent approached me, both of them. And, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I was like, I was used to being approached by the superintendent and the pastor in a very negative context. Yeah. And what happened was... Um, they approached me, and I remember that they approached me, and and I thought, oh, what was I going to say? And then they, they they said something that changed my life, and transformed it, it began. It put me on the journey, on the path where I'm at right now. Wow. Um, I was 15. No, no, no. Yeah, because I got baptized at 15. I gave my life to God, surrendered my life to God, at 15 years old. 
and it was then where they then could do this and it was not long after I I got baptized that they approached me and said we need a teacher for the junior class and we think that you would be an excellent teacher for them and it caught me off guard right because I was used to always being in trouble but I was always used to giving teachers a bad time yeah and never imagined my, that someone would want me to be, <laughs> to be the teacher, yeah. right? And they caught me off guard, and I didn't know what to say. I was like, I never expected that to be what they would, uh, what they had, what they wanted or yeah. thought that it was something what I thought was serious and really positive. Why would you want me, right? Mm. Um, kind of deal. And, and they were very serious. And and they cornered me, and and they didn't they didn't they 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 made me make a decision, right there. No no no, you can't think about it. We want to know right now. And and then I just, I felt like a thousand things going through my mind, but at the end of the day, I knew that that's what I should do. Like I, I was trying to go through all the reasons why I shouldn't. And all I could hear was, you need to do this. Yeah. A voice inside saying, you need to do this. And I was trying to convince that voice that I, that I shouldn't. Because right? you saw uh, the behavior I don't know why. I don't know why, but I don't know. I would just, you know, it's, it's like you switched roles. But you never imagined you'd be in a different role than the one you're in as a student. student. Right. Mm. You know? And so... Um, you you've, you've, you view teachers with res- more you know with respect to a certain extent uh, but felt like you know they, they're supposed to take their job seriously and re- to be respected and whatnot right and you kind of don't see yourself that way as one that should be respected or taken seriously or you know yeah um, and so it shocked me and shook me at my core and I said yes and I couldn't even believe I said yes and they were and they both got really happy and said, okay, you start next week. Here's your manual. Here's your manual. Here's your, you know, you're going to start, you're going to teach the junior class. And the juniors were like two years younger than I was. Hmm. Yeah. And my dad took uh, Sunday school pretty serious. So, like, it had, like, parent-teacher conferences for Sunday school. Oh, I remember man. doing parent-teacher conferences when I was 15 with the hermanos that had brought me up, <laughs> brought me up and, and, and used to make me go take a shower. And we'd go shower with the kid when we were little. You know, they, they knew me in all my glory and everything. <laughs> 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 the, you know, they, they had raised us, you know, like, you know, I was staying in their houses and whatnot and got in trouble by them and whatnot. And here I am, 15 years old, having parent conferences with them, with their kids that are like two years younger than I am, saying this is what I think, you know, they need right now or where they're at and what, what they need for their, as far as their spiritual understanding is concerned with, as regards, you know, scriptural knowledge. Weird, weird, okay? Talk about, like, uh, surreal moments, you know? Uh, like you want me to do what everybody has to do parent conferences all the teachers like what um, but long story short I took that manual home and I started just I devoured it I was just I just read it and absorbed it and went through all the things and all the things that they would recommend and 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 so I I fell in love with it I fell in love with it I'm like 
yes, I can teach it. Like I'm going to be able to teach it and I'll teach it the right way. Right. And and I connected very well with the juniors because, you know, um, knew them very well. They knew me very well and they looked up to me and whatnot. And then I started and they had me start a junior choir, which started my music ministry. Right. And, and then the rest is history. But um, I think a love, a real genuine love and for the scriptures began there. Like consciously, right? Um, consciously, and I know it. Like giving my life to the Lord had a lot to do with that, and so I took it seriously. I took it very seriously, and I approached it very seriously. But um, so I wanted once you get knowledge of Scripture, that's it's not enough. Um, there's something missing, and you know there is. And so then, um, you think it's more research and more and more study, which I found out that's not it. That's <laughs> not it. Um, it's research and study is fine, and you can knock yourself out. But you you'll get to the point where you read enough commentaries, and you realize they're all saying the same thing, mm. right? Pretty much, you'll have some unique ones that have a different perspective and view of scripture right Matthew Henry is one commentary that he doesn't really think like the other ones do most other ones especially the newer ones the newer ones the older ones tend to think more original their own thoughts so to speak but the newer commentaries uh, give or take a few but the newer commentaries were eventually they're all saying the same thing about the historical aspect of it and whatnot, and whatnot, and going on, right? And then you're like, I know that. So the question is, you get to the point when the study of the scriptures or the, or the stories and whatnot, where you finally you know what people know. Well, not everybody knows, but you know what scholars know or whatnot. You know, like most people don't know more than that. But that's not true. If you're only looking to the scholarly, to the research, that's true. There's a peak. But if that's the only approach you have, then you'll come across and then you come and you meet people that are gifted or people that have approached Scripture in a, very, in a different way. And so therefore, they get out of Scripture things that are not in those commentaries. You'll come across them. And I came across a few like that. Um, but... Uh, so when I started teaching when I was about 15 years old um, I've been teaching ever since so that's a, that's a long time and um, the I got a point where well, let me see fast forward to Fast forward to um, I get married, 23 years old, and began my life with my wife, Rebecca, and um, we're young, 23. She's older than I am, so she was 26, 27. <clears throat> and um, 
in that mar- in our marriage, it it you have different experiences. You begin to experience life in a different way. And so, one of the things that happened during that time, I was the music director for my uh, for the Indian Apostolic Church, my uncle's church, with a pastor over there, and um, um, I went to help him with, uh, with the music. And so I that's how I arrived. And then from there. Um, I had a very similar experience that I had in when I was 15 years old in the transformational sense in that one, once I had arrived there I am skipping a lot of things but um, in between how I my dad ended up leaving the church handing over the church my, my, my older brother um, my, my eldest brother Esau he left the church and went to a quote-unquote Trinitarian church for an apostolic oneness that's a big hit you know because uh, that's your your um, well it's almost like you're devolving it's your sense. enemy yeah <laughs> okay yeah. just you know just it's what it is it's your enemy I mean once you at the end of the day it's it's it's, it's uh, you don't believe the same things uh, so they're heresy, heretics, you know, basically, and and vice versa. But um, so when he left and became a Trinitarian, that was a big, that was a hard time for my dad. He handed over the church because uh, my dad took the scriptures seriously, and you know the scripture says if you're not able to, you know, govern your family, then you have no business being a, a ruler in church. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so he he handed over the church. So when he handed over the church, it really threw me off, because I by that time I was fully involved in everything and, and fully immersed, and that's you know um, I was eighteen. He hands over the church, and so it kind of threw my life. I, I didn't go to college because of it. Um, I didn't go to college because I thought oh, I'm gonna be, help my dad, you know, and gonna do this and 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 then my dad hands it over and and then I was left with nothing. I, I didn't know. I had a full ride to any college I wanted to go, and I I didn't go because it wasn't real life. It wasn't really important. This Mm -hmm. was important. And then when what you think is important falls apart, all of a sudden you have a crisis Mm -hmm. of identity and a crisis of faith. And so um, I ended up going to, um, um, ended up going to the first church in Fresno, which by the Felipe Gajula, was the past is is and still the pastor um, there who was one of the probably the best teachers in that especially during that time that I had ever heard and seen just gifted excellent teacher um, and his brother Manuel Gajola was a mentor to my dad and to myself too uh, who just they had a, a doctorate in philosophy and theology I believe they went you know to um, Oxford or somewhere out there in England and got a degree oh, to man. and so it, it, it's they're the real deal and um, and so they were a good friend of the family they always passed by and, and we had a good relationship with them especially my dad and so um, they were a big influence because they were like the walking brains okay and uh, literally and um, and so that that was a big influence too for studying and for pursuing uh, 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 degrees in universities because they had done that and whatnot, but 
I was lost. And I, was, I went to his church. He was an excellent teacher. And I admired him very much for it. I respected him because when he, when he, when he spoke, I listened and I learned. And that was a big deal for me because I didn't feel I could do that with a lot of people. And so when, and that's why he went to his church. And so um, it came to the point where he gave me advice. He said, he ended up, long story short, he said, your dad is your dad. He's struggling with this right now. He'll find his way. So you're your own man now. You can't make your decisions based on your dad. You have to decide what you're going to do, and you need to do it regardless of what your dad is doing. You're already married at this point? No, no, no. This is not 18 years old. I hadn't oh. moved to India yet. Um, it's how I ended up in India because I felt like God was calling me to go to India. I felt a real strong tug that way. My my sister had moved down there and was there. And then I, I, my, my uncle had talked to me and, and said, I need help with the music. I could really use your help. You should come. He, he was very close to my dad, and he knew what was going on. And so he talked to me, and he said... I could really use help with the music. You, you should think about it. You could come help me, you know, with the music down here. And and music ministry was a big part of my what I was doing. Um, and so, Brother Agiola ended up uh, he ended up saying he gave me that advice, which I took to completely to heart. And I, and for me, it was a confirmation that I needed to go. And so, I made my decision to go. And so uh, I was, I turned 19 and I left and became, uh, began to help my uncle in the music in Indio Church. Um, I was, I would say I had an identity crisis at that point. Because what everything I thought I was going to, I was and I was going to do and be had fallen, had fallen up. It was, it was taken off of, it was taken from me, and, and uh, it was a rude awakening. And so I kind of was trying to find myself so just plugging in uh, into the music department and whatnot. And um, I ended up uh, starting to teach, too, because, well, I loved it, and, and I was good at it. Which class? Or what a youth age class, youth. Mm -hmm. a youth class, and um, and so as I was, I was, I started teaching the youth class, and um, and I'm trying to make just make sure I get the chronology right. It's been a while, and so what happened is that I was just I just dove into that music ministry and just um, I, I, I I poured myself into it so with excellence do it the best to my ability right gave it my all and did the same thing with the teaching right and um, and so it was enough to where the pastor my uncle and the assistant pastor who actually happens to be uh, Becky's uncle. Oh, wow. Um, uh, called me to the office, which I also was used to because <laughs> I, I always, trouble always found me uh, because I, <laughs> once you're a PK, you have a way of not caring what you say. 
or rather you become very godlike in that you are no um, no respecter of men you're no respecter of people <laughs> there's no partiality with you <laughs> you dish it out to whoever standing in front of you uh, uh, as opposed to when you you see people, the people that grow up that didn't grow up like that they're like respectful to how they say you know how they're talking to the pastor or the bishop and whatnot. not me but for me it was you're just a man and I'm going to tell you the truth because you deserve to hear the truth because I think that's the most respectful thing to do. To treat you like a person. To treat you with the truth <laughs> and not to tell you everything's okay when it's not. So like, for example, when my uncle would say, oh, I need the choir to sing. The choir was in shambles. There was no way I was taking them in public. I was like, they're not ready. And he's like, well, I need them to sing. And then so he would send an usher and he goes, the pastor, he wants the the... You know, I'm sitting at the piano, and the, the the usher comes up. Pastor says he wants the choir to sing today, and then I just turn around and say, "You tell the pastor that the choir is not singing today." <laughs> and then he almost flips out. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this is the pastor. How can you how can you say no? Like, and you're in church on the piano. Like, uh, it was like uh, being like, rebellious. It was like. How dare you, you know? <laughs> and then I could see that he was like gonna lose it, you know, he's losing it, you know? And he's like seriously losing it, not like faking it. <laughs> like he's losing his marbles, you know? And it's like and he's like, if the pastor says that they're gonna sing, then the answer is yes, they're going to sing. And I was like I'm like, oh man. <laughs> I'm like, just tell him that I said they're not gonna sing. And he's like gonna pass out, you know. <laughs> And, and 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 so then he goes back is like, you know, almost passing out, going back to tell the pastor like in fear. Did not go well, pastor. And and he said no 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 no. You know like this is like this is like like fire was gonna come down from heaven and strike him or something. You know, and I was like just they're not ready. If I put him out there, he would be embarrassed, and I'm not gonna embarrass him. You know, it's 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 no. Just tell him no. <laughs> you don't tell the pastor no. <laughs> that's not how you grow up, you yeah. know. So, anyways, that's the kind of that's what I'm talking about. So, I was always in the pastor's office, you know, amigo, you know, like it's the brothers, you know, they respect me, you know, like, like you know, you can't just say like that, you know. You know like, okay, sorry, uh -huh. sorry, Tio, sorry, you know, like, uh, but you know. I'm not gonna embarrass you because I know and I know I know me I know and he know you know he 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 gets it yeah but, um, but he was still he's like he would laugh hi jail you know <laughs> and, and, and it was almost like your dad you know and my dad was very much like that you know uh, but and he know he grew up with my dad so but anyways um, so when they called me to their office I was like oh great what do I do now what who's complaining this time you know. <laughs> And about you know what I did or said, and then um, they called me in, and it was exactly the same experience that I had when I was fifteen, except worse, because they sat me down and they said, "You've been observing that you've been faithful, and you do your job with excellence, and you're doing everything with the music department, and the brothers are responding positive to you, la 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 la, la. and we think that, um, uh, and also your teaching and." And hear, we hear really good things, and we hear it, and you, you do a good job. And he's like, we feel that 
we were talking, we feel that God was calling you to be to the ministry, to be a minister. That hit me harder than it did on, when I was 15. Because I had, like I said, I was in a crisis of identity. Well, the only thing I knew mm-hmm. was I wanted nothing to do with the ministry. I didn't want nothing to do with the ministry. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And I want nothing to do with ministry. The last thing I would imagine that they were going to tell me was, we think God's calling you to be a minister. We see it in you. For somebody to tell you that in that way, it hits you hard. I mean, if you if you know what it is. Mm. Right? No. And um, I, it's the last thing on my mind, the last thing I ever wanted. I was not happy with the ministry right? and what it had done to my dad and to me as a result. Right? Um, and um, and my dad was a kind of minister that was by the Bible, scripture, and you know, you know, regardless of the consequences. So there was we struggled. We were poor, and you know. Because he would put people on tr- on uh, on trial. He would do church discipline. Oh wow! Yeah, you're living in fornication. You're going and you're baptized in Jesus' name. You're baptized. You know, you're surrounded by Jesus guys. Um, you're going. You're going to go on trial, which means excommunication if you don't get it. Your 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 um, your act together. Like a probation period. Probation right? period. Yeah. That's right. It's a probation period where you're being watched. Uh, bec- uh, to see if you re- truly repent mm. and turn away from your sin. That's back in the day when this church discipline actually existed. Yeah. Well, even during that time, it wasn't widely practiced, but it was already going out of um, of style, out of, of style or practice. Yeah. But my dad was serious about scriptures, and so he would call balls and strikes, and then they would get in trouble for it, and people would stop giving ties, and so there was times where. Oh, where man. we didn't have anything to eat because they didn't, he didn't have a salary. Where, and then I didn't know why we would go picking in the fields on the weekends. We just complaining, you know. I'm like, should have told us something, Dad, because you know, knowing that we didn't have nothing to eat, and if we don't go out and pick, and it kind of changes your perspective, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, and your attitude about going <laughs> instead of just making life miserable for my dad because we didn't want to get up on a Saturday and go pick, you know, in the fields or whatever, you know. Um, but so that was something holy and sacred to me and serious to me. So when they at, when they told me that this is what they saw in me, this is what they were they felt that God was calling me to, and that they wanted me to take it seriously and to think about it, and then give back to them. I, I got floored because by that time I was dating Becky, and um, um, and she had. She had asked me initially, so did you, have you ever thought about being a minister? <laughs> and I, I shut that down quick. So, you know, not to give her any false sense of, you know, uh, any illusions or of grandeur that I would have or that she would have. But um, I'm like, I, I would always respond to her and look at her straight in the eyes and say, Never, never. There's no way 
That's a real. I would be a minister. It's the last thing I would want to be. And it would floor her because she dreamed about minister. She dreamed about, had envisioned marrying a minister. Right? And so when I would come back hard like that, it was like. Shattered her dreams. Kind of, right? Pretty, yeah, like. Maybe this is a sign not to move forward. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Kill me, Smalls. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, uh, and so like she had given up that she just stopped asking because I was like, I would shut that down hard. Because, like, heck no, you know, no way. I knew what it was, and that's why I didn't want to be it. Because mm-hmm. I, my, my dad left a, a hard model to follow and when and and so that's why I started with growing up because because it impacts you and you don't even know how it impacts you it, my brother's the same way my older brother my even my sisters any sense of injustice or unrighteousness or something like that and, and there's no way you can just sit there it, it affects you and so you can't just be quiet either no matter where you're at it's like like Jeremiah says, like fire, shut up in my bones. It's like you're gonna die or you're gonna lose it if you don't say something or do something. <clears throat> so, um, so that was that's a big impact. So, I'm I I I, I thought of I I was so confused because I had like I said I called that my identity crisis because I was trying to find myself and I I refused to be identified as a minister because I didn't like ministers. <laughs> Cause I seen a lot of ministers and uh, a lot of the nonsense and <clears throat> um, so I had thought about there's no way I'm gonna do that and I and I just go kept going through it and I'm like no way and like I, like I would think about it I'm like that's no no mm-hmm. and then the voice would come back this is what I want you to do you could hear that voice I could hear it in my like the same way in when I was 15 and uh, I'm like no 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 ah la 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 no 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 and and so finally I, my dad was my final authority um, I respected and I felt that my father was my final authority and if God was going to speak to me he was going to speak to me my dad he knew that so I went to call my dad and I said dad this is what's going on. And just so you know, I decided not to do it. And these are the reasons why I decided. Because I see the corruption in the ministry. And I see how ridiculous some these ministers are. And I don't want to be associated with it. Not even a little bit. And then my dad responded. Mijo, that's why we need you. And that's why God's calling you. Because he wants you to be a good one, not a bad one. And we need more good ones to outnumber the bad bad ones. ones. Well, I didn't have an answer for that. (laughs) And so he disarmed me with that, or God disarmed me with that. And then it broke me. I wept and wept because I... I didn't want that to be my identity. I didn't want to be part of my identity. And so it's like God's calling you to something that's you. 
and we're running from it like Jonah running from Nineveh. I don't, he didn't want that to be part of his identity. He didn't want it in his resume that he went and spoke to his enemies and got them off the hook. They repented. I don't want that on my prophet resume, please, for the love of God. I got to go back to the Jews and then, then I got to take it well. Yeah. That the people that just enslaved them and conquered them, I forgave them. God forgave them and I forgave them. FYI. <laughs> That's in my resume. Yeah. And so it's like you're running away from your destiny. You're running, running away from who God created you to be. Right? And who God wants you to be. And desires. His intention for us. His design for us. Right? And so I finally surrendered. And then when I surrendered, I was all in. I was all in. I'm like, I will not be a minister like the ministers I know and have come to know. There is no way I'm going to be that kind of minister. And so, like, when I was 15, I jumped all in. I was like, I'm not going to be a teacher like any other teacher. I'm going to do this the right way. <clears throat> and so I, that was what I set out to do. And um, it took me about five years to get ordained. Usually it takes three. Um, and in the middle of it, I got married. And then two years after I got married, I got ordained. But all the while, all the meanwhile functioning as a minister, they took the ministers, the deacons very seriously in that church. It was a big deal. It was actually really enlightening and an interesting experience. The deacons had as much as a powerful word as the pastor and uh, any other ministers there. Uh, when everybody voted, each vote counted. It was crazy. It was, it was a good formation there as far as administration is concerned. Mm. Never seen that in any other church. Um, where usually the pastor's families are the only ones that vote. But, you know, that's, that's uh, a big part of the corruption. But um, anyways, it was really good uh, experience there. Well, I dove in, took it very seriously, and started, I was teaching, I started teaching the young adults, English adults, not young adults, the English adults, they tended to be young, but uh, there was a few of them that weren't, but uh, the English adults, so they started an English adult class, and I started teaching the English adult class. <clears throat> and then something happened where, oh, when my uncle became the bishop of Spain, of, uh, I was going to say special education. <laughs> 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 he, was the, he became the Secretary of, of National uh, of, of Christian Education, mm. which is uh, on the Board of Directors. Okay, And uh, it's, it's, it's the highest board you can be on, the National Board. And uh, so he became the, the Director, which is called the Secretary of Nation, of Christian Education, which means worldwide... Um, <clears throat> that he was re responsible for all the Christian literature and all the anything that has to do with teaching and whatnot around the world, and he was my pastor, and so he we grew in our relationship with each other, and he trusted me very much, and uh, and gave me plenty of opportunities to expand my ministries because obviously he trusted me, but um, 
And so when he became the Christian Education Secretary, they travel giving conferences in different places in the U.S. and and internationally as well. Um, and so I, um, he hired me to be the editor for the Youth Expositor um, for the Assembly. And so I started being uh, writing books, the Youth Expositors, which was the teaching manuals that all the teachers would use the ones that most people were supposed to buy them. So when they were teaching in the study schools, they would the high school teachers would use uh, the youth uh, the teachers would use that manual and teach the lessons from there. Mm. So now I was writing the lessons that the teachers were reading and, and teaching. So that was a fascinating experience. In fact, I learned how to use PageMaker. In fact, I didn't even know how to turn on the computer. Becky had to teach me how to turn on the computer. <laughs> and it's you know the internet was had just come out and. Uh, I didn't even know how to turn on the computer. Becky had to, turn me how to, to teach me how to turn on the computer. and um, So it would have been that same book that you would have used at 15 when you started teaching then, right? Would it, that same book? Or is it? Pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. There was a junior one. Okay. Uh, but then there was the high school. When I was doing the youth, it was a little For, bit older than oh, that one. Okay. But similar. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, full circle, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then so, so cool. So, when that happened, um, I learned how to use PageMaker, or at least PageMaker, because I had to write the book and then I had to publish it. And so, I learned how to use graphics and dump them in and page set everything. And so, I had a hand on, um, on, on disk, it was a it was a zip drive. <laughs> I'd have to hand it in on because it, it only fit on there because of all the graphics and everything. They didn't fit on the little small ones. Of, um, and so the original uh, zip drive. Yeah, the original zip drive. So they used the zip drive to hand in the finished product, and they would take it to the to the general offices, and they would print it. And then they would come out, print it, and everything. And then they had people who did graphic designs that would do the cover. And when I would page set, I would typeset everything everything and then they had people who would translate it and so then I would send the typeset to the translator and they would translate everything and then I would tell you the Spanish so it was in English and Spanish and then it would get printed and it would get sent out and they would buy it and send it out to the for a next for a quarter it was about 13 lessons so I started doing that well in my experience of doing that I got very good at one publishing books as far as learning all the shortcut keys and everything to the page maker and everything, uh, I wouldn't remember nothing anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I started doing that, and my studies got more got deeper, more because I, I wasn't happy with what was being written, and so what the way this worked was I, I had young writers or you know people that I knew, young ministers and whatnot, and then I would send out I would call them and then they would like. I need you to write me a lesson. This is the theme. Wor- worship is the theme. And I want you to write worship about this experience of worship. And then write me a lesson. And then I would gather those lessons together and then I would edit them. I would go through them and make sure they were legit. Because a lot of them, <laughs> back to the study school days, like, you're a young minister and this is what you wrote? You, you know? know who Moses is? You know who Moses is? <laughs> you, 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 I think you meant Jonah. You know, <laughs> like, you know, Moses was not in the belly of the whale, or you know, it was some some of them were like pretty out there. 
so I would have to edit them. And then some of them were so bad, would I have to? I don't think I think a couple of times I like just scrapped it and had to write it myself. So I ended up writing a lot of lessons because either writing or co-writing because either the lessons were so bad that I needed to beef them up or they were just terrible and I needed to rewrite them. So doing that and having a very short uh, time period to do it, uh, deadlines, I was in the scriptures and then I would read something and then from and then I man it was it, it wasn't enough. So I would end up like for example, we were in John chapter four, Samaritan woman worship, right? And I would read it and then like oh, I would just read, you know, the first you know, the verses that had to do with worship. The Father seeks something like that's not helpful. And then I'm like, let me read the whole chapter four. Like, oh still not helpful enough. I'm like, let me read chapter three, what came before chapter three. And then end up starting, and before I knew it, I was chapter one. Hmm. Chapter one, <laughs> you know, yeah. going to two, three, getting context for chapter four, and then moving to chapter five, where it's to go next after that. So I had a broad, I began to learn how to broaden my context, broaden my context, broaden my context. Not just see scripture in, in, the, in the immediate verses that they were in, but see a broader context. One, see the, see them in the context of the story. The act, the the immediate texts that I was in, uh, which is the context, right? But the story, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but what what context is that story in? And brought in the context there to the previous and following chapters. And then, if you do that enough, you start seeing connections that they don't write about in commentaries frequently. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and and it's like, wait a second. Chapter one is related to chapter four. Chapter one is related to chapter two. This is oh my gosh, Nicodemus is a big deal. Oh my gosh, Nicodemus is a big deal. But so I started, and so I would do that all because I was editing. I wanted to make sure I didn't jack up this lesson like this person just jacked it up, you know. And so in order for me to give put something out. For me, I felt put some out that was worthwhile for people to read and then teach it. Mm. Right? I would dive into it, so I would spend hours. The hours would just go. I would just go because I, I literally, sincerely, was diving into it and losing myself in it, and just expanding, expanding, reading and rereading, and then and then rereading it again, but in this context, and then rereading it again, but in this context, and then just changing the context. And when you change the context of well, I shouldn't say it like that, but just changing the well, but that's what it is. Seeing it in a different point of view, or giving it different points of view, changes its even its meaning sometimes. So, yeah. um, uh, or its emphasis more more particularly. Uh, so that happened. I did that for a couple of years. Every day. Right, and I put out I don't know like a put out like it seems like thirteen, a few, 13 lessons, right? Quite a few, uh, yeah, quite a few, uh, quite a few um, lesson uh, books, uh, expositors, and so the, I remember the last one I wrote, the last one where it was on worship, and and it was based off of. Um, Abraham, the first mention of worship, 
when he says to Isaac in Genesis 22, the, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. It was the first mention of worship in the Bible. And so it's based off of that incident. And then the last lessons, uh, the first, you know, I don't know how many lessons were based off of that interaction and, then, uh, and how worship changed in the New Testament. So it goes from worship in the Old Testament, Shekah, to worship in the New Testament, Proskuneo, and how it shifted and changed and, and what that meant. Um, so and I ended up writing that whole book by myself because I was by that time I was so I was like I'm just gonna write it uh, because I it, I had gotten so much knowledge that I didn't have before because of the way I was approaching it and the way I was looking at it I had gone beyond just reading the story I had gone beyond that and 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 jumped into okay. Um, what's going on here uh, let me try to put some pieces together here to you know to try to get a better background mm-hmm. and so um that became how i my norm in looking at scripture and that's at the foundation but that was not that was the foundation i said the foundation because after that i had a crisis of faith or another crisis of faith, or another crisis of identity, in the sense that, in uh, about two years after I got married, around there, three years, I came face to face with my sinful nature. Marriage has a way of doing that, and I, I had a, I. It's weird. How would I describe it? It's, I believed myself to be sincerely surrendered to Jesus Christ and to be seriously following Christ. But I did not know how much of a sinner I was in a real sense because I had been... um, What's the word? Nurtured or coddled or protected from the quote unquote world so that I have never, I never drank anything, any alcohol ever, never smoked. And these were like the ultimate sins or whatever, or whatever right? The really bad The sin. really bad ones, right? Uh, in church growing up or whatever. And that, so from my perspective, I hadn't, I hadn't done anything um, that was like, you know, a drug addict or, you know, alcoholic and, you know, destroyed my family or, you know. Bank robber. Bank robber. <laughs> I was a criminal, you know, dealing drugs or, you know, I killed somebody, you know, and I was, you know, I didn't have what, we, what, what people who, people who grow up in church, they use this kind of language. That's a powerful testimony. Okay, that's the language they use. If you grew up in church, but it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. Like, if the person who really had that experience, and then they're sharing that experience, which is they're confessing their sin or confessing their journey, right? Uh, and you tell them, man, that's a powerful testimony, man. They don't feel that that's a powerful testimony. They feel like that's the most shameful thing they've ever done in their life. Hmm. You know? Yeah, that's like, what do you mean? You know, uh, 
you're so lucky that you never have to do these stupid things. Yeah? What do you mean powerful testimony? Powerful testimony is like you you wanted to and you didn't. That's a powerful testimony. Right? But we kind of, people in the church, growing up in the church, kind of feel like, man, you've really lived it and you really know it. And man, now you have a powerful testimony. My testimony sucks, though, because I've never done that thing. We uh, romanticize it yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's, like, it's like everybody wants a good story. They want a nice resume. Yeah. Like they want that crisis experience as far as, like, man, I was really jacked up, the prodigal son. But now, man. From rags to riches story, yeah. Kind of deal. As opposed to, you know, I've dedicated my life and been obedient to God and and he's kept me in his, you know, from the mouth, from the devourer till this day. Yeah. That's a powerful testimony. We sell ourselves, growing up in church, I can relate, because we sell ourselves short and... And that we ignore our humanity. We, like you're saying, we ignore our sinful nature, so we're not um, aware of it, or we're not conscious of it. So, like you're saying, you grow up, growing up in church, people that did have, like, like I was saying, these life experiences, and you're 14, 15, you're, and they're telling you, like, no, mijo, you're, you're, you're a good boy, or you're, you know, and you, so there's a definitely, there's a definite disconnect, right? There's de- definite disconnect, and and almost to the point where I think that that does uh, stunt our growth or it doesn't it doesn't bring the power of God it doesn't come alive it doesn't call your true self no. out that's no. what I started saying like you're saying that, that only the truth of God's word coming in will call the true being that God created us to be will call him for us and will will we'll resurrect him from the dead that's a really good way to put it like you said it's definitely an identity crisis absolutely I'm sorry. I know. No, yes. No. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. I was going to say, I, for me, I, it's hard to to see that, like, it's hard not to see that world because that's what I grew up in. Like, that's my norm growing up is, like, all the the drama and the violence and the alcoholism and so on and so forth. So that's, like, the norm. That's what, like, my standard was growing up. So it's hard to know what, it, what it's like to not be in that. So I would say probably similar to that it's hard to know your world not growing up in a church like what that looks what like. that looks like yeah right. mm-hmm. it's just it's just hard to to make those connections so I I can understand when people would say like that's a powerful testimony because like when you grow up in that like you want a way out of it and you want to hear someone who did make their way out of that because it's like there's like you or um, you talked about earlier about um, was it jo- uh, Joseph I forget the brother that. You felt connected to, and you knew like he made it out of right. the circumstances, right. and you Joseph. felt like you can uh, attach, <clears throat> attach yourself or, or um, resonate with that story. And I think for me, that's probably like the been the most um, gratifying part of the my journey to faith is like seeing that you can come from, as you said, like rags to riches, but like you can come from a place of like a deficit in a sense where you feel like you're really not on your feet like you don't feel like you have that truth to ground to ground your life in and it's like it's a struggle and then once you begin to build those pieces together then it's like you feel like you can actually move forward in life where you're not like continue like self-sabotaging yourself and that's what 
at least from what I've seen with family and and myself, it's like you're continuing to self sabotage because you don't have anything. You don't have the truth that's going to pull your true self out or your true identity out. It's like you're just stuck in this loop, and it's like you're never, you're never. There's always that sense of like not being good enough or not feeling like you're um, worthy of all those different things. It's like it just kind of keeps playing in your head, and you're you're not, yeah, you're just not moving forward. You're self self sabotaging basically, and it's like you see it in people around you, and you can recognize that in yourself, but you've at least for me like you turn away from those thoughts and those emotions and you like you talk about reading in scripture and, and digesting you you begin to not puff up in knowledge but you puff up and puff well rather grow in real knowledge and true knowledge yes and i think that's the biggest differentiator yeah so <clears throat> the question is then how does one who grew up in the church and didn't experience those things how can they feel that they can, how do they repent? Let me ask you that question. And what are they repenting from? It's usually nothing real. Mm. Well, I think the thing about like the studies is um, the sinful nature. It's 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 in all of us. It's it's there, and it's it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door, and you have to master it. I think that's for all, from what I know is the goal for all of us, whether you grew up in church or not, I think that would be what we're repenting from. Yes. But like I'm saying, you're like, well, I didn't study my Bible enough today or, you know, I I, I looked at a girl, you know, or, you know, it's, it's uh, like John A. Cuff, who is a comedian. Well, is, is a motivated speaker now, but uh, started with Dave Ramsey, I believe. I saw him at a Catalyst conference one time. It was hilarious. And then I started following him. But he's very funny. <clears throat> and one of these says, like, Christianese or Christian talk. Mm. Or, you know, mm. he's like, um, uh, he's talking, he was addressing that. And he's like, like, man, we're not real. Growing up at church, it's, like, it's hard to be real. You know, it's like you're in a prayer circle or, you know, you're in a, in a, in a, you're in a prayer circle. It's like uh, it's time for a confessional, you know. And then, and then uh, mm. uh, the, the person next to you says, I got I to gotta confess, I haven't read my Bible this week, you know, like, and I've been, you know, uh, I, I've been missing the mark, sin, right? I've been missing the mark this week. You know, that's my sin. You know, I, I need to turn away from that. And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <clears throat> and he goes, but the person next to you, you know, is is hooked on pornography and they want to confess that they hooked on pornography so they can be set free. He says, but how do you do that? When the guy went before you says that his he missed the mark by not reading his Bible enough. What are the chances the guy next to you is going to say, I'm hooked on pornography and I want to be set free? There's zero chances that happening. Because nobody's confessing, you know, like, man, that's your sin? You don't want to know what my sin is. Right? Shame. Mm-hmm. That, is, that, that is produced. And so it, it's, it becomes this... Uh, um, this environment is created in the churches, especially in the, especially in the youth, is so immature. Um, uh, it becomes an environment of of of, of, of lack of authenticity. There's, no, there's nothing real. There's very little that's real. 
um, in the sense that you know real life the real things that people really struggle with so like I, 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 I tried to repent for my sin I just didn't know how sinful I was because I never came face to face with my sinful nature till I was married and one of the things that I struggled with that obviously I could never talk to anybody about was pornography and when you're smaller uh, I could tell you how but because God rooted it out of my life and, and when he does such a thing he shows you how it began right way back when you were little right way back when you were molested way back when this and then you see the pattern in your life of how you were exposed to these things and how you interacted with these things and how you hurt other people and how you you know you were hurt and and vice versa and whatnot uh, so it doesn't it doesn't excuse what you're doing at the moment but it explains how you got there mm. right it explains how you got there um and and like anything like most things they begin when you're you know satan attacks when you're little when you're most vulnerable right i believe that's one of the reasons why god speaks to you even before you're born and that's why abortion is such an ugly issue because that's satan attacking from a spiritual perspective he's attacking before you're even conceived well, it makes sense. Why? Because God begins to speak to us even before we're conscious or conceived. Or rather, um, birthed. Yeah. So Satan's attacking early, as early as possible. Why? Because God is forming us and speaking into us and designing us and destiny, you know, giving us our destiny from even before that. And that's why they're trying to go further and further and further and further, right? Yeah. To try to eliminate Right. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, that's what it that's what it looks like. What's happening as far as the the fight in the spiritual realm, right? Between light and darkness. Um, but so for me, it was pornography, and I got exposed. And then so when you're a young guy, um, and, and so that's your like your blind spot. Then you go and you weep in the altar, and then you're like, God forgive me and everything. But no one ever knows about it. And it's just you and God because we didn't grow up Catholic. If we would have grown up Catholic, we can actually be have a better chance of getting set free from it, going confessing your sin to another man, and then them telling you, you know, do something, and then you be, you know, hmm. that's that's a big deal. Okay? Dialogue, yeah. absolutely. Okay, uh, James says that you confess your sin to one another so you can be healed. There's a big component. Sure, okay, take it up with God. He will forgive you. Confess to God, absolutely. But I got to tell you, if you want to be free from that, you're gonna have to confess it to another man, not just any man. James says, a righteous man, someone that you know is dedicated to life and has surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and is living a, a Christian life. And God always, the Holy Spirit will always direct you to who? Always. We make it very clear. Hmm. And because and, and, you'll be talking to someone and all of a sudden you'll, you'll say, you need to tell him this. Like, oh. And then, like, here it is. You know, and, then, and then that's your opportunity. And then you make sure they pray for you because the power... The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And if it's a righteous person, they're not going to judge you. They're going. If it's a true confession, they're going to release you, and for, and you'll be forgiven. and And they'll pray for for the uh, for that uh, transaction to happen. Right. Um. So. So growing up. And, you know, watching movies or, you know, and so when it involves masturbation and whatnot, especially with guys, this is an issue that becomes a prevalent when you're an adolescent. 
um, I'm assuming everybody goes through it because there's no way I'm unique right in that sense and not from what I've read either and from what I've seen right um, and so uh, this is an issue but no one teaches you how it just in the church is like this that's not good <laughs> that's bad you mm. shouldn't do that case closed <laughs> okay any other questions don't ask <laughs> That's about as far as we get taught about that. Those are taboos, right? And so you grow up and your hormones are going crazy and, and, and you don't know what to do. Or the church hasn't said anything truthful about it. And so the only one that's saying anything is the culture. And so your sinful nature is fully alive, except you don't even know that it is. All I can think is my, when my mom was figuring out how to deal with me going through puberty, and she said, "Once you go through go through puberty, she's like, then I know I need to I'll let you take longer showers." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you need to shorten up those showers. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, for her, it was like you know, she uh, she didn't know. Like she asked her take friends. Take your time, mijo. Yeah, you know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> she was very like open and honest about those sort of discussions and you know not having my dad around to t- talk to me about these certain about these um what is it how do you say it when you develop as a young man in all these situations that you're dealing those with natural drives those drives yeah and like for her she just was asking her friends like I don't know what to do because I'm not a, a guy like I don't know how do you do with those things so she was you know doing to the best of her knowledge or to, to the best of her ability but it was like it wasn't it wasn't complete um, stories that she was being told. It was just coming from people around her, and so it was kind of like you know you deal with what you gotta deal with, and yeah. it's not. No guy wants to talk to his mom about that stuff. That too, yeah. <laughs> there's that. So you know. Also, there's that. <laughs> so it's like that. It's like you're not you're not um, you're not again you're not getting the best data or best teaching from that perspective. You know. Sure. Yeah. And then, not, and then if you go to school, like imagine today, what they'll teach you about that stuff. The angle that's coming, right. yeah. yeah. And so it was even taboo in the schools. You didn't, yeah. you didn't talk about that school. So it was, it was like nowhere you could go where, you could, where someone would teach you about that stuff unless you had a personal mentor that would actually, you know, uh, help you along that way. That, that, that didn't happen for me, you know. Um, uh, but anyways, uh, Point being that you get involved in this kind of things, and like I said, you have your imaginations that start going wild too. But in an area where you don't want them to go wild in, because mm-hmm. it is it, it'll be the beginning of the end of your relationships with women. Okay, um, so with that, uh, the idea was, or or I guess what I thought was that once I get married that'll be the end of that I'll go away right that'll be that'll be how it gets solved I'll get married and I'll never have the urge to that because I'll have a wife and we could have sex all the time that's also extremely naive (laughs) (laughs) and um, which has to do with uh, being exposed to pornography right but uh, uh, the, the the idea that that it was going to be cured by marriage, like marriage is going to cure that, 
was the big, the most naive thing, one of the most naive things I ever thought. Yeah. Or believed, rather. So I got married, and you, I'm here to tell you that marriage doesn't, marriage does not cure sin. In fact, what actually happens is that marriage exposes and magnifies your sin like never before. Everything about you. Everything. Comes Things out. that were in there yeah. you didn't even know come out. Right? Yeah. And so that happened in my marriage after like two years or so, three, around there. It, uh, Becky found out that, and that was when I started going on the internet. And, I, and it started, it's all, everything that you can tackle, the sin that entangles us always happens subtly it's in our Genesis studies. It's, it's um, in the Genesis study, it was, she looked at the tree and saw that it was desirable. What's that? It happens to the sight, the eyes, the sensual sight, right? So it happens very subtly. And, and so for me, um, it was... When, when, when I was writing all these expositors, mm. I was studying the Word of God, doing all that stuff, right? And and then I like, how easy is it for people to get on, on, on sites that they shouldn't be on on the internet? And then I'm like, that's how I started. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then a site came up. I was like, well, that was easy. Yeah. I'm like, this is bad. This shouldn't be like that. That's exactly how I started. I say, man, this is wrong. People, you know, people need to be careful having these. In the and then, pretty soon, and then pretty soon, and and then you're deep in it, just like that. It, Satan doesn't need a big old commitment. It says, don't give him a foothold. Mm-hmm. You give him, you open the door a little. It says, sin crouches at the door, and his desire is for you. All you got to do is take your eye off the ball one time, and he's in. He's in. He's a master of what he does. Floods. Floods in, right? It's, it's... A lot of bit. So, and then you justify, you justify, you justify it. Like I said, in the middle of studying scriptures all the time, and, and expanding my knowledge of scriptures, doing all these things, being on stage, leading worship, doing all that stuff, right? Um, and... Then what? So, what happened is that Becky, um, because I wasn't so computer savvy, I wouldn't erase my history, because, like I said, I would justify it, justify it. I didn't think I was doing something wrong, in in you know in, in and of itself. Uh, um, uh, it was more like a study, and then, but I I didn't know when the study started and when I was full blown into it. You don't know when that happens, and so. Um, I would. I didn't. I didn't even know that you could erase your history, but not that I thought I should. Right. Yeah. You know. And so she. It ended up being that she um, discovered and would see and would come on the computer and then see that the history, and then go into and see all the things that you know that I was looking at where I've been, the places I've been, and and so that is basically the effects of that is like if I had committed adultery. That's the effects of that. That's why Jesus says, if you look at a woman and lust upon her, he says, you've already committed adultery. 
Does it mean that you literally already committed adultery? No, it doesn't mean that. But one of the things I learned about that was that the you've already committed adultery in the eyes of your partner. The, the trust has been broken. And the effects, as if you had committed adultery, they're experiencing them. So it's a deterioration of their soul as well. Yeah. Not just yours, but theirs. And it's the breaking of the most important thing in a relationship, trust. Horrific. The most damage you could do to your relationship is to mingle in and mess around with pornography at any level. Yeah. It's because you're being you're not being honest. And so people say, well, what about if you you know, you decide to see pornography together? That is not a good practice, let me tell you. Like I said, it starts innocently, or like we're, you know, we consent to do watching it together because we kind of play for or whatever. No. You're not taking advantage of the devil. Trust me, the devil is taking advantage of you every single time. And he, and he's, one, 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 uh, um, one act at a time, he's, he's, your, your heart is being turned into, into stone, calloused, 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 calloused. It's like a drop on a rock, a drop, a rock, drop, one drop at a time. The drop is not powerful in and of itself, but a repeated drop, click, 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 right? Watch, 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 and it'll put a hole right to that rock. It's amazing. So that our marriage came to a crisis, and 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 I thought we were going to divorce at that at that time. <clears throat> I'm like, well, because she was she was real broken and she was really hurt. And once I saw that she was broken, hurt. I um, I repented, but for the first time, from something real. And to someone. And to someone. That's right. And so I repented and and uh, and begged for her forgiveness, and assured her that that what I was doing was not directly connected to her. It had nothing to do with her directly. And that I had been doing this for a long time, way before I even met her. And so it was not, it was it was sin, it was my sin. And it had nothing to do with her personally, it was my sinful nature, it was my problem, not hers. And that I was so devastated that my problem had affected her in this way, and I was ashamed. So for me, that, moment and that time where I went through what I call a rigorous repentance process that triggered that sparked my rigorous repentance process where I've I came face to face with I knew something was seriously wrong with me and I didn't know what it was but I knew it wasn't me in the sense of I had any control over it or was conscious of it and it was extremely destructive. And I think I have a sinking suspicion this is the sinful nature. 
but I've never met it before, consciously. It's the shadow that, you know, Jung talked about or that Jordan always talks about or in references. I came face to face with my shadow, with my dark side, with my sinful nature. Consciously, I got introduced to it. Right? I got introduced to it. And it was the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my life. And and at that moment, I felt for the first time in that way that I was in need of a savior. That if someone didn't save me, I have no hope. And my life was done. My marriage was done. Everything was done. My marriage was done. My ministry was done. My job was done. Everything's done. Right? And so I wept bitterly. I repented, with, uh, confessed and repented with Becky. And then didn't stop. Once we reconciled, I, I it started a period of time where I was weeping really bitterly every single day. And and so the only thing I desired was God to save me and, and to save me from myself and from the darkness and the sin that was really inside of me that was completely destructive. And if left to myself, and if I don't do something about it right now, it will, it will quickly destroy my whole life. It had already gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. And it was, but it was about to be exposed. About to be exposed, or rather, another way to say that it was about to get real. It was about to get real. <clears throat> and Becky forgave me. Um, we reconciled, but it was a. I'm fast forwarding, but, um, but it took. So I began to do things. So I. And I had a, that's why I said I set uh, my study of the scriptures. I had set the stage for it. It's like God drew me to Himself, drew me to Himself. He goes, but what? In order for me to do what I need to do in you, you have to be deep into my uh, my word and the way that I had gone in there and just gone deep, so that all this stuff that I've been studying comes flooding. In uh, to uh, uh, comes flooding right up to me in a very vivid way. So all the stuff that I had been studying and all the things that I have learned came to me, and there was a voice behind it, hmm. and I heard the voice, and it was no longer. And so then I would read the scripture, and I would hear God's voice speaking back to me. It wasn't Moses talking. It was God talking to me, and I could he- and I felt that He was saying these words to me, and they'd applied to me, not to Moses. They were applying to me here and now. If I didn't turn away, I remember reading that part in Deuteronomy, that it, I would be left desolate, and all the things that they talked about, uh, and Moses talked about, and so it was for me when I was reading it, and so I, I it was days. Becky would come home. And I had, I was home, and and I was I had, a, I just weeping bitterly was a 
a long period of time. So when she would come home, sometimes my eyes were so swollen I couldn't even barely open them. She goes, what, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I've been praying. I've been, you know, um, I've been doing this and this and that, right? Um, and so it was the beginning of a different kind of relationship also in our marriage where it was an open book, which is what you want in marriage to begin with. Uh, unfortunately, we don't automatically know how to do that. Right? And so I, in order to reestablish trust, you have to be, you have to take the initiative to be open on everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's your job and it's your duty to let them know what's going on at every second, always what happened thoroughly. Not because of you're scared of anything, but just because that's the only way to reestablish trust that they know what's they they know that what's going on always, and so therefore, if any time they choose, they know your passwords. I remember that I didn't change my email. I still have the same email that I first started with with my Hotmail, at least underscore Q. And during that time, when I was in those sites, you started getting I started getting inundated with with um, uh, uh, advertisement for pornography. Trying to click you because they can see and they and they go after you. If they see you mingle into it, they will go after you, and they start getting emails. And all you have to do is click on it, and it opens up. And then that thing opens up, and then it opens up all these other kinds of windows. It's unreal. Okay, uh, uh, with the force that Satan comes at you, floods in. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, once you open it up and and you take a bite. And, or eat the soup like Esau. Uh, what happens is unreal. Um, Pandora's box, right? And uh, uh, so, uh, so with with uh, with that, I never changed my email. And 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 I, and I heard for me the voice saying. Nope, you're gonna keep it like that because the easiest thing to do would be to delete it. The easiest thing to do would be to delete it and start over again from scratch, right? With a different email. Um, but I felt strongly that I, I could hear that nope, you're gonna stay there, and you're going to you're going to go. You're going to learn what is what it is. To say no, not by your ability, but by my spirit. And so there was a period of time where I can't tell you how many emails I had to delete consciously, intentionally, because you consciously, intentionally get into the mess or even sometimes subconsciously, but you can't get out of it unless you're intentional and conscious. Uh, Dave Ramsey says, you can you can wander your way into debt, he says, but you can't wander your way out of it. Mm-hmm. It takes intentionality and consciousness and discipline, right? And so, um, so I remember God used that to discipline me, which what Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a woman. Job talks about that, and and so I remember that's basically what I did, uh, and so he started retraining my vision, 
how I would see women and how I would look at women. And it was a, it was my, it was what I call, it was, it was my authentic experience for me of being born again. Of being born again. We're learning how to see again, not with my natural eyes, but with my spiritual eyes. How to hear again, how to talk again, right? How to taste, all the retraining of the senses uh, from a spiritual perspective. And so, it's so the the spiritual the spirit came alive. My true being came alive, and that's the irony of it. Wow. Is the tomb that which was my tomb now becomes my womb? I'm not trying to be like you know. I know it's Dr. Seuss week. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it is. Oh. Across America. Oh. Maybe that's why it's in my spirit. But <laughs> I read cat, I read the cat in hand today, but. To my students, um, but it's what it is. I was thinking. I was thinking about that too, uh, actually, this week. Um, where, as in regards to baptism, the baptism is both a tomb and a womb. It represents the grave, where then we're buried and we die with Christ. We're buried with Christ, so it's a tomb. But then it also represents the womb, in that. We are raised to new life. So it's the birthing canal too, to new life, the resurrection from the dead, as Christ was resurrected from the dead, right? And that's what baptism symbolizes. Uh, So the baptism is both a a tomb and it is also a womb and that we are born into the kingdom of heaven. It's the the birthing canal to the kingdom of heaven. So... um, uh, I, I, and that's the that's the irony of it at where you find yourself at the worst at your crisis moment right uh, you find yourself at your worst you which is face to face with the sinful nature and the consequences of it right um it's the end of you it's the death of you but you have to willingly choose it right and so that was my rigorous repentance process that I went through and then so in willing to be to die, to myself, the ultimate identity crisis. I my true self finally came alive from the tomb, through the womb, through the birthing canal of the kingdom, and I came alive. And it was my real self. And I knew you know what it is when you come alive. You know it's your real self. Because, like I said, your your senses are are different. You see things differently. You hear things differently. You taste things differently. You touch things differently. It's 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 amazing. It's your spiritual being has come alive, which means your spiritual senses have come alive. And now you see not only through your physical, but now you can see through your spiritual. And so your spiritual senses are super sensitive to anything that is contaminated with sin. Super sensitive. That's what it means that he says that he gives you a heart of flesh again as opposed to the, it takes a heart of stone from you mm. and he puts a heart of flesh in you and the difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh is that one can feel and is sensitive and the other cannot and he gives you a heart of flesh you would think well why didn't he just take the darn thing all out and just you know so you don't have to feel sin no more or do deal with sin no more no 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 he gives you a heart of flesh so that you can be sensitive once again to sin so that when it gets close you have a Adverse reaction to it, like what the heck was that? 
Mm. That was ugly. As opposed to what what was what? And you're all up in it. Whatever that what was. Right? And you're like, nah, whatever. Or however you're used to dealing with whatever that sin is. Right? So I had that my born again experience, my transformation. And so I, at that point, I began to read the scriptures again. But at that time, I was no longer reading them just with my physical senses, my sight, my uh, uh, my hearing, or you know, uh, I was reading them through my spiritual senses with the Spirit of God. So, and then it was weird because I would read stuff and it would make sense and uh, in a way that it hadn't before where it wasn't just a letter of the law anymore. Now I was reading the spirit. I could see the spirit mm-hmm. of Allah. I could understand what what it was getting at. And then when I would understand what it was getting at, immediately all these cross references would go would come up in my spirit in my in my in my memory and i was like whoa what was that and and began to experience what it was to begin to interact with the holy spirit and the holy spirit brings things to your mind brings things to your memory and then you begin to uh interact with the holy spirit speak with the holy spirit and then he 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 leads the conversation he brings the conversation he he brings it up and then you follow him when you follow him it's always interesting and he's taking you where he's taking you not by accident for he always has a reason why he's doing it and so he leads you down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake now not for your name so that you can have a good book or somebody can have a worthwhile thing to read it's for his name's sake so it's no longer about writing something good it's about writing something that's true and right which is different because writing something true and right is good but depends on your perspective. Because mm. it'll be offensive to those who have a spiritual perspective. It'll be offensive. Right? For sure. It'll hit you hard. Right? So, that began my my being submerged or baptized into the, once again, into the name of the Father, the Old Testament, the name of the Son, the New Testament, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Book of Acts and beyond. And, and and began to have a relationship with the voice, with the spirit behind those those words, where then it would guide me to different scriptures that were not on the regular cross reference scriptures, on you know uh, commentaries or expositors or or works site you know you know whatever I was using to study, it wasn't the typical ones. It would like it would began to cross-referencing things, things would come up into my memory that I didn't see in any of the cross-references, but it, it got, like, I started putting dots together. This has to do with this, trust me. And then you, before you know it, you do that enough and you don't know where you're at anymore. As far as, like, I don't know how long that's been. I can, I mean, I can think about it, try to think of how many years, but it's taking the red pill. Was it the red pill or the blue pill? It's the red one. The red one, right? The red, yeah, you get red matrix. Pill. Yeah. It's, it's taking the red pill at where once you take it 
There's no going back. It's you're deep in it. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how deep you are in it. You just know it. You're, you jumped in the ocean. And now you're in it. And so, but it's the most wildest experience that you could ever experience in your life. And, 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 and it happens to you while life is happening to you. During that time, after, not shortly after that, Becky got, we thought Becky had cancer. We went through that whole experience. So it got works all these things, weaves them all in, and uh, in his sovereign timing and seasons and everything. But I guess that my short answer as to how I approach scripture. So ever since then, I is how I approach scripture. Now I didn't mention um, my my degree I got in history, my bachelor degree. It's another because, layer. <laughs> because that's a big layer, too. Mm-hmm. Because it's why I got my degree in bachelor's degree. And um, the reason why I got a bachelor's degree in history, I was choosing between history and music, and I almost went double major. Um, and I chose history because of my love for the scriptures and my study of them. Um, so that once I... Oh, this is important. When I was going through my rigorous repentance process, process and I began to read the scriptures again at that point and re-go through them, it was like I was reading them for the first time. Okay. It, was, it was as if I hadn't read them before because the understanding that was coming from them was not what I had understood before. It's weird. I don't know how else to explain it. But what was imp- what's important about that is that... Um, um, it, um, because I surrendered myself because I didn't know who I was. I I it, I got to at that repentance process. I was also a, f- a crisis of faith. So I realized and I understood that my upbringing in the Apostolic Assembly <clears throat> had betrayed me I don't know how else to say that it had betrayed me and this is what I mean it had betrayed me because I was being promoted left and right and I was traveling at at the national level which is the highest level you can travel at giving conferences around the around the United States and beyond is traveling, giving conferences, right? So it, 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 that's what you aspire to in the church. And like, there's no higher than that as far as other than being on the national board, right? But you were traveling with them and doing all the things that they were doing and helping them be and do that. So the natural progression would be then to eventually you will end up being there yourself. It's the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Right, everyone's aiming for the top of the hierarchy. No one's aiming for the bottom of it. Okay, <clears throat> they want to go up the hierarchy. Um, so, so that, so, so I was in the middle of that, and I felt betrayed by my upbringing, or by by the apostolic faith, in the sense that everybody had been promoting me and told me what great a person I was, mm-hmm. and how 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 gifted I was and how how excellent the things that I was doing and what a great this and what a great that and nothing but accolades, right? And praise. 
And in the middle of all those accolades and praise, one of the things that hit me so hard was that there was not one minister, bishop, pastor, person who ever, who could discern that I had sin in my life. So I was angry. How is it that nobody had the discernment to know that I wasn't this great guy, that I wasn't these things? How was it that I was deceiving them? The only answer to me was that they don't know. They themselves are in that same position. Because once I knew that was that became my immediate ministry for a long time. And in fact, when I landed in this area, in Orange, helping Aaron and Gary, that became a big part of that. And then when I landed, in C and then when I went to CT, that was a big part of that too. And and uh, and praying for people, and people confessing their sins, and then releasing them from their sins. That was a big part of what I was doing initially. Um, and and it was crazy because it's like God would just bring people to me. People, I was talking to people, and all of a sudden people just start confessing their sins. And I was like, whoa. I'm like, wait. And they're like, I feel like I can talk to you. I'm like, okay, go for it. And so people were confessing some some real sin. And these are people in the church, mm. people that are in musicians, people that are on stage, worship leaders, whatnot, pastor's kids, whatnot. I pay for pastor's kids in my living room that were living in fornication right? because they wanted to be set free. Uh, I started teaching my choir before practice. We, we studied the word of God for one hour and then we would practice for an hour. People would, in the, in the choir, through those teachings and through those uh, the studies that we were to do, they would come up to me and say, I'm living in sin and I want to get right with God. Just like that. Okay, how? I'm fornicating. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Homosexuality. La-da-da. 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 I mean, it was like, this is this is absurd. And so it's like it was rampant. And it's like if, it's like if somebody got, somebody got clean. And like everybody's like, I and not that they were clean. I'm just trying to explain how how that. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to explain how how it kind of felt like when it was going down. It's like it's like um, it's almost like um, you want a million dollars and everybody know you want it. So everybody comes saying, "Can I have a little bit?" Hmm. Yeah. yeah, something like that. <clears throat> Something like that. And so it's like it's like God cleansed this vessel and then so he sees how desperate these these other ones are and they really do want to uh, um, are tired of living the way they're living and then directs them to who they need to talk to. And then when it, when that when then that connection happens, it all comes out. And then what I would do is pray over them and and release them from their sin. And, and their lives would be transformed. And they would, 
it, it, when you release that way, it's freedom. It's chains are broken. You know, goes in no more. You know? uh, it, it's it, so it, that was like a few years. And when I landed in CT, I still was operating in that kind of ministry, which is came back to long story, but came back to uh, to hurt me as far as my initial why I went there, um, because people started the gossip and standards started going saying that I was trying to figure, you know, learn the people's secrets to um, blackmail, blackmail, them. and went and and even got as far as as being accused of blackmailing the pastor's family oh man oh yeah that was that was uh, I'm not gonna get to that but it was a nuts that was nut that was nut time crazy time (coughs) crazy time but it comes from this what I was when I was describing as being this ministry and and the okay I still haven't gotten to why I said that but the reason I'm saying that is because it was a complete cleansing and born is born again is what the Bible calls being born again, right? Complete cleansing of self, and or a shedding of self that is not self, so that only what's pure and true remains, right? So it's the seed going into the ground and dying that Jesus talked about, so that the real life that's in it can come out, right? Which is why Jesus said, "Unless the seed dies, he says it cannot come alive; it cannot be born." There is no new life. So, it, so what I what I was getting at with that saying that is that I came to a crisis of faith, and I felt that the apostolic family had had betrayed me. Like there was no one spiritual enough to discern any of this. Not my dad, not my uncle, not nobody. So, I was like, "This is not good. This is not good." And so I turned to God and I said, okay, I'm ready. Whoever you are, I want to know who you really are. I want to know who you really are. So if you're Buddha, then I'm open for the first time in my life. I want to know and I will serve you if you're Buddha. If you are Muhammad, then I want to know. I will serve you. If you're Muhammad, I'm open to it. For the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I am open to who, I don't care who you are, if you're Jehovah Witness, if you're Mormon, if you're Trinitarian, I don't care what you are, all I want is to be in relationship with you, but I want to know you. I don't want to know what people told me, who people tell me you are anymore. I want to know for myself who you are. And the response that I feel I got back from that was what sh- what really marked me and shaped me into how I approach the scriptures to this day. For me, what I got back from that was I am not apostolic. And I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. you weren't apostolic. And then he's like, yeah, 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 but I'm not Mormon either. He goes, I'm pretty sure that was the case. <laughs> like, I'm also not Jehovah and it's also not shocked. He's like, I'm not Buddhist. And it went down the line too. He goes, I'm none of these things. And I just heard back what Moses heard. I am 
that I am. No one religion can contain me. No religion can fully define who I am or, you know, or, de or, or declare who I am. I am the great I am, and I will not be bound by any earthly institution. But I move in and through all of them. And I have my prophets everywhere that have not bowed the knee. And for me, that floored me. And so, because I was excited, like, for the first time, I'm leaving the assembly, and I can go anywhere I want. Just show me where. Point me in the right direction. Right? And it was a want, want, want moment. And, and, but that marked me significantly as to how I approach the scriptures. Um, and that, that, the foundation for that was set with my studies in, 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 in history with my bachelor's. The stuff that I learned there really set the stage for that. And uh, because as I studied those, uh, the different, when you study history, you study cultures and you study religions because uh, uh, you have to. And, and so civilizations. So uh, in order to study the civilizations, and get, you have to study their religions. And there's, you know, there's the social practices and whatnot. So as I came across and studied this, so many different religions and so many different cultures and civilizations, there was threads that ran through them that were true that reminded me of the scriptures. I'm like, wait a second, that's in the Bible. Hmm. And I had so many, I remember when that first happened, I was like, what a coincidence. Until it was just like nonstop, and I was like, "This is nuts." So it's almost like God became bigger when you realized the things of Socrates and the idea of the inner voice of. Uh, you talk to Socrates? <laughs> you mean you just don't just talk to Mexicans? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it sounds like what I'm picturing for me is that was your moment, um, like like Paul on the road to Damascus, or Nicodemus yes. talking to Jesus, and. Him, him having explained being born again and him thinking, how am I going to enter into my mother's womb? And him telling him, how is it that you're the teacher of all of Israel and yes. you don't understand the earthly things? How am I going to explain the heavenly things? Yeah. So that was your moment of... And that was me. Yeah. It, it, I made some serious connection with, with these characters. And then I found my... I made a serious connection with Paul, with Paul uh, as Saul that was Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, uh, sorry, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and according to the law of Pharisee, like you couldn't get more Jewish than that, and you couldn't get more prepared in the scriptures than that. And he knew him inside out and everything like that, and he missed God. Right, because he not only missed him, he was literally persecuting him and fighting him. And I made a personal connect. Like that's me. That is me. I am a Pharisee. I am the one that's teaching these scriptures. I'm every day, Sunday school, all these things. I am this. So for the first time in my life, I knew what I was repenting from. I knew, I knew, and even though I hadn't done all these things, I knew how way more sinful I was than everybody who had done those things. Mm. 
and I had a consciousness about it. So never again from that moment on ever talk ever talked casually about sin in the sense that from that day forward I became very merciful is another way to say that I began to love mercy which is distinguishing factor it's the litmus test for a Christian or for love or for Christian love you can say you love Jesus you can say you love the scriptures you can say you love the church you can say you love your neighbor but until you start loving mercy you've not you don't understand nothing and you don't love who you think you love and, and so I, I actually I did a tweet about this because I've been meditating on this um, my, I think my last tweet was this uh, I put something to the fact that uh, love without mercy is like faith or is faith without works love without mercy is faith without works that's what it is and and, and faith without works is dead that's what James says right and so love without mercy is not love that the Bible is talking about that Jesus is talking about not that love it's something else and you call it love at the beginning of this podcast, didn't Excel say that he didn't have anything weighing on his heart that he's been thinking about lately? And I was just thinking that actually when he said that. I was like, oh, nice. He answered the question. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Got it in. Like I said, you may not be conscious of it, but it's in there. It's in there. Oh, that's a good one. Appreciate you saying that. I was going to say it. I just thinking it, you know. It's not weighing on my heart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> oh man! So, <laughs> so uh, from that, uh, I, from that, I, 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 at that point, my whatever boundaries I had on the scripture, all gone. Hmm. Those were all filters, all boundaries of where I couldn't go past. Because, well, Mormons don't know the truth. <laughs> well, because Trinitarians, you know, they're heretics. Yeah. That was a boundary filter. You, the truth that existed beyond that boundary, I didn't have access to it. Because I had, in fact, those boundaries, Paul calls them walls of hostility. There were walls of hostility. And that's what they are. Is what makes me hostile to somebody else. Hate, violent, aggressive, and that's why I say you begin. I began my journey of loving mercy. That's the hallmark for a Christian, for someone who loves like Christ loves. They love mercy. They get joy out of releasing people from their debt. It's joy. Because when you've been set free, nothing gives you more joy than that. That's joy. When you get set free, that's joy. But if, if you can imagine more joy than that, like what could be more joy than that? Setting other people free is even more joy than that. And so you fall in love with mercy. And that's why I say like beginning ministry was about people just walk up and start confessing their sins to me and then I would release them.
It's an interesting context for a, truf- a cheerful giver. That's what I'm thinking. Like to love mercy that much is to 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 is to give mercy. Like to, you're giving and you're receiving. Practicing it. Yeah, yeah. you're practicing it. He says, you, he says um, uh, in the mat. Uh, it says freely you freely you received, freely you give. Mm. Freely you have received, so freely give. That's the whole mercy thing, right? And so, so those those things that I had the boxes or the walls that hostility that I had created because of my beliefs, and because apostolic oneness was the real truth, and everybody everything else was maybe some truth, but not like this real truth. Yeah. So those walls came down, and now I had, I was able to go into places have relationships with people, authentic ones, that were not like me or didn't have my upbringing. And God began to use those relationships. <laughs> Just the scriptures would come alive. You got away from uh, God opposes the proud. Oh. And how you approach scripture, how you approach people, and even God himself. It's God, you're going to fight yourself. You're going to find yourself fighting against God, Eliseo. What he told Paul. Right? Or Saul. Uh, eventually, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. When he tells the Sanhedrin, right? And that was me. I found myself fighting against God. While teaching about God and His love and His mercy and all of it. While leading worship. While leading worship. Praise. Yeah, and, and like being, you know, promoted for it. Absolutely. Like just like by something I related completely to what Paul was had gone through. It's like... I was at the top of my game, you know, uh, excelled in my hierarchy. It couldn't get higher, you know, and I was on my, I was, the trajectory was, the sky was the limit, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you found all that to be rubbish, trash, dung. Hmm. Like, that was worthless. That didn't help at all. That actually made things worse. <laughs> he says, now I count it all done for the excellencies of knowing Christ, having real knowledge, real knowledge of God and his word. And so for quite a few years now, that's the perspective from which I teach the scriptures. And, and this, um, I finally, not only, so man, the way man does things to teaches you how to do things like man is not the way God does things and teaches you to do things like God. Okay? It's not. So man says, for example, the man does, okay, from like a spiritual perspective, preaching or teaching perspective, it's like, oh, well, homiletics and, you know, hermeneutics and you got to study this and do that. You got, there's a right way to do it. And there's a wrong way to do it. La, 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 right? And like you got to do it this, you got to sign this, you got to dress like this, you got to do this, you know. And then you got to study, and you have to study, you have to do this. And yet this is the pattern that you use to study. And then you study context like this. And this, and this. The Holy Spirit does not teach like that. The Holy Spirit does not teach like that. He does not follow that kind of order. And so, uh, so it was. It's been like, okay. So it says you have to have an outline. You have to have three points in this and that when you teach or preach or this and that. 
okay and preferably a powerpoint because that's awesome you know and then uh, and then if you can hand out it out man even better you know and if people to follow you and so i i would rack my brains to try to do these things except i knew it was frustrating people because there's no way i was getting through those outlines I would write stuff down, and then all of a sudden, I was doing the first point in the outline, and then the Spirit of God, I could hear it say, go, like, it just bring up something, and like, oh, and so a lot of learning began to happen on the spot, so that things that I didn't know, and that I put on bad person or whatever, as I was interacting with people in the teaching or something like that, they would say something, and then it would unlock something that I had put on the back burner of Scripture, and then I immediately knew the Holy Spirit let me know, they're talking about this Scripture, and I was like, and it was happening live on the spot as I was teaching. Not anything that I had prepared, not anything I had studied and spent hours doing. Not, I had nothing to do with that. It, it was just what the spirit of truth leading you to what? Truth. Mm. And once I got exposed to that, then I let it go of my earthly masters in the sense that I stopped trying to teach the gospel or preach the gospel or talk about the gospel the way men or other people had told me it was the right way. And then surrender to the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I did it, I was so scared. <laughs> because I saw that Jesus, that's the way Jesus did it. Jesus didn't have a PowerPoint. Or he didn't have three points. He would open the scriptures, read, and then the, the Father would tell him what to say. And I'm like, that has to be real. And so I remember the first time trusting that, which means I made no outline, and then stood up before people. And let me tell you, you feel naked for sure. But then God shows up. God shows up, and then I started I read a scripture and I started speaking about it, and then it it started happening like nonstop. So then I became super alert so that all I'm hearing and thinking about is being super open and sensitive to what somebody is saying, no matter who that person is, no matter where they come from, no matter what background they have, no matter if they're baptized, not baptized, doesn't matter who they are, what label they have on them. If they're speaking, I'm listening and I'm listening seriously the way God listens. So that when they say something, the Holy Spirit always has something to say about what they're saying and then they say something and then the whole scripture comes up or something comes up and then I just repeat what I hear what comes up nothing more complicated than that and that became my final pattern that I've used for how I approach scripture or anything I read Put it this way, at that point, the Bible, it, anything I read, I had that same experience. Hmm. Whether it was a nursery rhyme, whether it was a textbook, doesn't matter what it was. The spirit of truth leads you to the truth. And then when you read something that's true, the spirit of truth says, that's true. Pay attention to that. Okay, so I should probably study this. And as I go deeper into that study, it's like, whoa. And then finally, the Holy Spirit says, I wanted to read that because this has to do with this verse. And then it unlocks this verse. 
the truth. And what I mean unlock is mean the truth that is there comes forward. And then when you're able to share that truth with somebody else, it's transformational for whoever has ears to hear and eyes to see. And for me, that's what it means to me. That's what it means that, and why we set up our studies the way we set up. That's, that's what it means for me to meet Christ as the living word. You come and you begin to interact with him. And all of a sudden you meet someone dishes out something that's true. And then your true being says, that's true. It, res it responds to it, whether you're conscious of it or not. It's like, yes, yes. And something inside you says, that makes sense. But even though even though you're fighting it or whatever, something inside of you, you know, it says, is responding and wants to say yes to it. Right? That's the ex people's experience when they come across truth. And I've had those experiences here, but I've had, I got to tell you, I had those experiences maybe even more outside of here, my workplaces, wherever I'm at, when I'm interacting authentically with somebody, because I'm listening, always listening. That's what, I think that's what Paul means when he says, be ready in and out of season. Mm. In and out of season. Not just when you're in the place where that usually happens, or where it's supposed to happen. Right. But especially when the places where, and notice the difference, where I grew up, the outside wasn't that real, and the inside was the most real. Now everything is flopped where the outside is even more real sometimes than the inside here. Or rather, this is like the training ground to go out to the real world, where it really happens, where people, where when you share truths with people, and they, they, they receive them, and they believe them, and they do them. It's crazy. And they're Catholic. They're not going to our church or anything like that, but right. they just had an experience, and they just had an authentic interaction with the living word, Jesus Christ. Did, did they know it? I don't know. Will they know it? I don't know. It's not my job. My job is to be who God created me to be authentically and to speak about what he says without censoring him. This is one way to say it. All the time. All the time. Say things that are true. Say things that are real. Jordan Peterson would say, mm -hmm. don't say things that make you weak. Which is another way to say it. I think we discussed that yesterday. Um, it was, gosh, there was a lot we went through yesterday. But I remember... <laughs> like what I what I took from yesterday's lesson, especially, and 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 connected to what you're talking about right now is is to not con, not necessarily like concern yourself, but not to be like fearful what what the judgment of others is gonna be to 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 live in God to not to to live in the truth of God and and let that stand for what it is and not worry about the consequences of that essentially. I forget where we were in, in in scripture, but I remember when you said that, and then you're saying it right now. It's like a reminder of not to be afraid, not to be afraid of of what you believe to be true. Yeah, well, it was Peter and John that were speaking before. That's the right, Sanhedrin, right? The Sanhedrin, yeah, there you go. And they're speaking yeah. before the Sanhedrin, and before they were afraid of him, right? Mm -hmm. And now they're they're not they don't have fear for their lives. They just need to be who they were, their authentic ones that 
beings that God created them to be. In the spirit. And if it ends them, yeah. it ends them. Mm-hmm. But they can't be but who they are. Right? Um, um, Martin Luther said it this way. Here I stand, I can do no other. Like, he was going to recant. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they wanted him to recant. He's like, I'm speaking the truth and the only truth I can see. And if I if I recanted that, I would be recanting. I would be defiling my own self. So here I can stand. I can do no other. Take it for what it is. It's, it's, it's just shocking they didn't kill him. Because they killed everybody else. They burned him at the stake. It's crazy. But he did. They didn't do that to him. It's crazy. It's like God. He was. His destiny. His design was different. Even though his contemporaries were burned at the stake, man, for saying, not even saying half of what he said. Well, maybe that's exaggerated, but nothing less than what he said. You know? The one time the Germans had a restraint. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you're the, well, you're the history guy. <laughs> I, I got my bachelor's in history. I didn't get my doctorate in history. <laughs> the history buff. That because history, you know, that period of time. That is forever. Uh, it's not easy to study. <laughs> remember <is> everything. <laughs> A lot of details. The Germans, um, but it, it's it's the it's the you, once you get a taste of your true self, you don't ever want to be anybody else. And that's what it means when the scripture says, "You will. You no longer are worried about pleasing people. No, the only one you're worried about now is pleasing God." That's it. It's the only one that matters. It's so weird because I had a, a dream last night. I don't know how to explain it, but other than we were, I was in a room, and it was like a room. I had to go through this room first to like go to the, like the next stage, and this creature or something went to like to like lay on me to find out what was inside, and then the creature said that whatever like whatever was inside and then said oh but there's something within that within him deeper within me even more and then i don't know if i i I feel like this is what was said but it was like it was the holy one and it was really it was interesting because i felt like it was like it was i don't know i just i feel like it's it's connecting to like what what you're talking about in terms of like to not fear anyone but god it's that like you that's what's in you the true self the true self yeah only your true self your true being only responds to God and is only interested or only responds to God in the sense that in the, in, the, in exactly the same way that that Jesus said I only do what the Father tells me to do I only say what the Father tells me to say it's the true being only responds to God and is only worried about pleasing the Father. That's the highest priority. My will, my 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 food is to do the will of my Father and to mm-hmm. accomplish it, see it through. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. That's spirit and in truth, absolutely. That's your being, your true being, which is made in the spirit in the image of God, is which is spirit, right? The spirit that brings your soul front and center and your body. And it aligns it with truth, with God. So He can speak truth to you. And when He speaks truth to you, it is your nourishment. 
and you respond to that truth and then you seek to fulfill that truth to do it right? to do it and when you do it that's your nourishment you are fulfilling your not only your spiritual drives but even your natural drives you get filled with that it's how Jesus sustained himself was sustained in the wilderness for 40 days mm. he said he called it it's the true bread it's the true bread the bread that descends from heaven it's the real manna mm -hmm. right? that's the real so that's how I approach scripture thank you for sharing <laughs> <laughs> he, we got both our uh, questions answered <laughs> yeah that was beautiful I have to say it's beautiful but yeah appreciate it's it it's a that good was, foundation for yeah, next time yeah I think so <laughs> it's it's a it's a question and episode I think is the, the the real the real the real way to do this because I feel like it's it's interesting because like there's a lot that goes into like setting everything up you know how do you approach scripture well it's a, there's a lot that goes into it so I appreciate you taking the time to do that and walking us through that and I think it's like you said it's going to be a good foundation for next time so I feel like I'd say one more thing about because well, I, 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 I I said a lot of things but I feel like I need to say about the pornography that in through my rigorous repentance process the Lord healed me I experienced healing from it where I no longer um, engaged in it again real true healing I think it's important because uh, study of the word when you don't experience the power of God it's hard to trust it Right, so the, when the, the apostles presented the, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the living word, because they didn't have Bibles, and they presented the living word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they presented it in power. Right, and they said that they just want people to experience the knowledge of God, but they wanted to experience the power of God, and that's why you saw the paralytic stand and walk, right, and that's why you see them do signs and miracles, and so for me. A sign and miracle that happened in that transition was the healing from lust where I, I didn't have to I never struggled with that again right? and so that's at the stage for the healing from my marriage from there hmm. it doesn't mean that you don't go off to have your life is live after after you have to continue to keep your eye on the ball it doesn't mean that it doesn't sneak in and Satan doesn't desire to sit there and to wait for that moment because he will mm -hmm. right and, and if you surrender yourself to that again you will be wrapped up in again for sure go and say no more right but that was not just I think it is important to understand that you experience the living word and the power of the word and and there's healing in the power of the word and for me my healing was that it was a sign it was a standing stone so to speak Mm -hmm. Right, of of God. If, if any time where I would doubt or I would get any have any questions or anything, it would always remind it. 
and 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 to this day, it's crazy for me that how it's that urge is gone the way it was when I was wrapped up in it, and how you can, it's possible to be healed, not just from that. And my point is, you can receive healing from anything when you approach the living word and you and you surrender to the living word and you begin to experience the living word it will heal you so whatever it is that you're wrapped up in me i was wrapped that was one of the things i wrapped up in it i mean we're not saying a lot of things there's a lot of other things that i still didn't say about my sinful nature as far as how i got uh, um, uh, how the holy spirit made me conscious of how just how murderous I was and how it was in my bloodline, right? And how uh, uh, abusive and uh, uh, um, um, uh, one murder, murderous I was. And so I was able to repent from being a murderer, not like pretend, like real, it's in my bloodline, hmm. right? Things like that. So you experience the power of the living word. And I think it's important because once you experience the power of the living word, how you approach it, it's not the same anymore. Right. And how you deliver it, it's it changes. Yeah. Right. Anyways, I felt because to clarify that or to at least close that loop. close that little loop up yeah. where people understand that uh, we're like, oh well, then what happened? Are you still wrapped up in pornography? No, <laughs> not for years. Yeah. That's not since you know, for not for. About 20 years now. So that's a powerful testimony. Right, right. Which probably, I, 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 when I, I, I've confessed like all my conscious sin to, uh, uh, to somebody, okay? And then they prayed over me. That was a while back. Um, but uh, that was, I, was like, I, I know what it feels like to be freed, not just by God. But to be able to tell somebody about it, well, I can actually speak about it here. Right. Although I don't, this is sensitive for me, for Becky. So I don't talk about it just anywhere, anytime. But as we were, t- as we were engaged and speaking about it, there was a big green light to talk about it. And so, I I, I obey, I I do. So um, because this is that power that we started, that powerful testimony. Right. Yeah that I experienced that it's 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 a it's a sacred thing that just doesn't get shared with anybody but well obviously anybody who hears now but um, <clears throat> that few people know because I've when I'm interacting with them truthfully the Holy Spirit says you need to tell them this because either they were wrapped up in it or they were something to do with it you know and so the it's not my testimony that's the other thing it's not my testimony that's a testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. It's His testimony. Mm. It's not mine. And that's a big mistake people make in the Christian community. Because they think like, oh, you have a power of testimony, you just talk about it. Go ahead. No, no man, that's not your testimony. You don't talk about it unless the Holy Spirit says you talk about it. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a joke to be confessing your sins in front of people with a mic anytime somebody tells you to do it. That's not God. That's not how it happens. And I, it would make me mad when I would see that in churches. But this brother, <laughs> the preacher would come in. This brother was was hooked up on alcohol and drugs. Come here, tell him your testimony. He's like, 
Okay, yes, yeah. it's true. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's not it's not your testimony. It's not it's not the pastor's testimony to tell. It's not the preacher's testimony to tell. It's not even that person's testimony to tell. It's the Holy Spirit's testimony to tell when the Holy Spirit chooses to tell it. So, yeah. Anyway, side note. <coughs> end note. End note. End scene. <laughs> well. Thank you again. Appreciate everything, and um, I'm certain I'm certain that people will, will get a lot out of this one. So appreciate you coming back on and to the next this one. Was a strong one, yeah. It was, it was, one. It was a really strong a one. Pleasure being invited, and and uh, man, it's such a nice format. <laughs> uh, we, we hope so, right? It's easy for yeah, conversations to have. Yeah, the conversation to have yeah. is there's no interruptions. You know, it's no kids running around. <laughs> Other babies. No newborns <laughs> to be no, crying. Well, but thank you very much for your yeah. invitation and, and for creating the platform. Thank you. All right. And may God do with it what he wants. Amen. Thank you. And God bless everyone. God bless. Good night. Good night. Good night. You are listening to Gabriel and Lee at the Crossroads. 